age of the Christian movement prior to tribulation. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faith and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raven, that thou mayest be clothed with that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. This is quite a quite a letter given to a group of Christian believers. We would certainly question the validity of what they were involved in if you solely looked at what they were doing as being complementary to what they represented. What I want to do is talk to you about seeing from God's point of view. Uh, if you look in the Scripture, you find that these people saw themselves one way, and from a different perspective, God looked upon them and saw themselves in a different way. I just remember Paul Harvey, for what it's worth, I made this little story. The lady called the police informed the police that that her neighbor was uh, exposing himself from the bathroom window. So when the police got there and and looked, uh, he saw this man standing in the bathroom and he could only see from from his shoulders up. And he said, well, uh, lady, I don't really see anything wrong with this. That's more than what you see if you walk down the sidewalk. She said, oh, but you don't understand. She said, now if you pull this chair up here and stand on this chair and tiptoe and look over, she said, you can see that it doesn't have any clothes on. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes just a change of uh, perspectives uh, enlightens you <laughs> as to what is really going on. Now, <clears throat> what happens sometimes uh, in trying to make impressions upon people, pastors or masters that just change it perspective just a little bit. And uh, this is necessary because some people will only see things from just one plane. That's the way they look at it. And they are not willing to uh, make a change in direction or a change in location in order to, to see things differently. They saw themselves one way. God saw themselves another way. Now, you and I both know in order for us to align ourselves with God, we must all be deeply committed to the will of God. This is something that that most people struggle with. I struggle with it. If you say you do not uh, have problems with the will of God, I'd really like to, to talk with you because I think you'd be able to help our fellowship. Uh, in Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word beseech is not... Uh, quite as general as most people would think. It is an old English word, but taken from the context in which this is written, if you look at the original Greek text, he's saying, I make a strong deal to give. It's just not a casual inquiry such as, uh, what about this? Or, have you ever considered this? Or, I would suggest. No, it's not that at all. The word beseech is used very few times in the New Testament. But when it is used, the Apostle Paul, in using it, is making a very deep, strong appeal to these people. He said that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, holiness has become kind of a naughty word uh, in the ranks of Christianity today. Even in some of our Pentecostal circles, it's, it's a little bit of a naughty word. I, I can never understand how people who are wanting to go to the Holy City to be in the presence of the Holy God, right. when it takes the Holy Ghost to get there, Hello. how they can feel so uh, adverse to holiness. Mm-hmm. I can't figure that out. 
I can't. Because it all goes hand in hand. You're, you're going to a holy city to serve a holy God and it takes the Holy Ghost to get there, then you should be involved in holiness. That only, that only makes sense to me. Now he goes on to say that this is a reasonable service. God's not really looking for us to die for Him. Uh, there may be a time in which we do give up our life, physically give up our life, but He's looking for people who will spend their lives or lose their lives in living for Him today. Now verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now the renewing doesn't just mean changing, but it really does mean a renewal. That any renewal that takes place, is it's like the fresh growth on a shrub that something begins to sprout and grow. And when you grow, you change. And it's through this new life that takes place inside of your mind. But new life cannot take place until the old life has expired. And this is basically what he's saying. That, that, that you just cannot find the will of God when the old life is still here because the new life will not, will not grow at the same time of the old life. Now we do this by the renewing or the changing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now there's a passage of Scripture that's found in Romans 16 that's a, that's a very intriguing one. I, I feel that I ought to just call this to your attention. Romans 16, verse 19, and, and, and perhaps many of you have preached on this, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I'm really amazed at how intriguing the works of iniquity is to our people. Uh, we can have any number of evangelists come by for any special meeting, camp meeting or whatever, no reflection on the recent camps that we've had because I'm not making reference to any particular situation. I can't even recall a particular situation. Or an evangelist can come by your church if you really want to get your people shouting. All you have to do is start talking about them having power over the devil. Especially if you get into the delicate areas in which the devil has worked on people's lives. Mm -hmm. Now Jesus uh, corrected some people who were very, very excited that they had power over right. Satan and such. And Jesus, the Bible says, in that hour rejoiced and said, I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them unto the babes. He said, now, the thing about it is, it appears to me that you're rejoicing over the wrong things. Don't rejoice because that you have power over Satan. Now, if you really look at that, that's a, that's a pretty condemning statement relative to a lot of our jumping up and down about the power that we have over the devil. Because if you start giving a lesson on the new birth, which is responsible for our names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, very few people will jump up and down and rejoice over that. We need to learn to rejoice over the right things. And I'm also amazed at how intelligent our people are and some of our preachers are about the things of the world. They really know the ins and outs and the ropes of, of, of iniquity. Uh, they, they just they keep up with the latest of everything. Uh, I'm not saying that in, in, in every area that, that I, I think this is bad, except that I don't know how a man could have enough time to spend in the things that uh, he should be spending and, and at the same time keep up with keep abreast of everything that's happening in the world. Now when I say it's happening in the world, I'm not talking about current events. I'm talking about just the things that are happening in the area of Hollywood and the Brewers and the Packers and this is what I'm talking about. Now I don't want to be I don't want to be condemning to a person that has some knowledge of what's going on. But I am saying there is a point in in which you can there, there's too much of a hold on, on the things of, of this of this world. They, they get a hold of you and they, they grow and, and they just they just they have a tendency to just just grab you. Uh, so when we become wise in the things of Satan, and these things intrigue us to the point that our people are just listening to these tapes. Remember the John Todd tapes and such that came around. So our people had them, and I stood up behind the pulpit. I want everybody to bring their John Todd tape and put it on the altar. 
And if you don't know what to do with it, I know what to do with it. Yeah. And we're just going to throw those things away. Some of you don't even know how to live right. And, and here you are, you're so concerned. We had people who got so uh, paranoid uh, at listening to these. They, they, you know, the devil was every place. But they, 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 didn't, they didn't seem to find God in every place. <laughs> My Bible doesn't tell me that the devil is omnipresent. It tells me that God yeah, is amen, omnipresent. Amen. That God is everywhere. Yeah. But we had people that uh, call me in the middle of the night. They perceived that the breath of the devil was blowing on the curtain. One, one lady, I said, uh, she said, you don't believe that, Brother Grant? I said, well, it may be, but it's just the devil. So turn over and go to sleep. Because Jesus said, I will be with you always, right. even to the end of the world. Right. I mean, we're in the world, but we're not a part of the world. And so just don't pay any attention to Him. Don't give any time for Him. Don't give any time for Him. And some of the specialized ministries that have come along in which... Uh, we have had ministers, and they, they did this because they were new in the faith and they were encouraged by people like myself who should have known better. But but uh, we've had specialized ministries where people would get involved in all of the ins and outs of the drug world and, and rock music and a lot of things like this, only to find out that these people ended up with monumental problems when they inquired into all of this. Now, I... There are, there are certain movements that, that we have in the states that I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate so much, but, but I have some serious questions. I, I get reports about all of the, uh, the pornographic things on TV, and, and you hear this, and, and, and 19 times per minute, whatever, you know, I, uh, nudity is shown. And so we're carefully monitoring this, but, but is it really safe? For any Christian to be monitoring this, and and, and the, the answer to all that is just, just don't have a TV. But you don't have to worry about what's on it or what isn't. But uh, a lot of people you, you you find that get involved in this later on fall themselves because they get too involved in this, too too intrigued in this. Now, the Bible tells us in Philippians two five that the mind that was Christ be also in you. Uh, if Jesus Christ's mind is not operating in us, we will never see life from God's point of view. We cannot see life from God's point of view. Now, I, I think that uh, Jesus was totally disconnected from the world. He was disconnected even from the temporal world in such a way that most of us are not, and the Bible does not require us to be. Let me just give you an example. A man who has a family, a woman who has a family, should to be the keeper of the home. Uh, we all need houses and such. But Jesus Christ, who was totally given to the purpose and the cause of God, did not even have a place to lay his head. He was this disconnected with the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a house, but we can't we can't be so attached to these things that these things dominate us. Uh, I remember uh, just a story comes to my mind. I remember one time I owned a 1975 Oldsmobile Omega. It was a pretty new car, but the warranty had just ran out. I had to put a lot of miles on it, and the the, the uh, heater coil began to leak. So, pouring antifreeze in the floor and stinking up the place gets in the carpet system. So I decided that I'd fix this. I talked to one shade tree mechanic. Okay, no problem at all. So I go get a new one, and, and I'm going to put it in. So I set aside a particular night, got in the garage. Oh, it was cold. Man, it was cold. I worked all night long. I could not get it out. There's no way. There were places up in there that you couldn't reach this. So a man in our church who uh, at one time had some some real experience as a mechanic, worked in, in one of the authorized job uh, uh, dealerships in town in the garage, he told me, he said, well, the best thing to do, Pastor, when you have a problem like this, go down to the library and there in the Madison Library, the public library, they have all of the mechanics uh, uh, of all of these cars. So just pick out the book, and sure enough, they were all current. This was a new car, a pretty new car. So I found the 1975 Oldsmobile Omega, and I got it. I got it home after looking at it, and they said, take the fender off. So you got I said, the fender off. I gave him a call. He said, oh, it's not nearly as hard as, as you might think. So I got up on it, and sure enough, I got all the bolts out. At least I thought I had all the bolts out. In just a 
few minutes' time, but I started pulling on this thing, and it was attached someplace, but I couldn't find where the attachment was. But there was, and I pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, and man, I I got a little bit aggravated at it, you know. I just, uh, I, I I'm, I'm not too patient when it comes to mechanical work. I, I tried and tried and tried. So I gave this man a call back. He said, well, he said, uh, now. I, I think, Brother Grant, he said, if you can't see anything, you know it's attached. It's not hung up. No. Take your hand and just feel up underneath there. And I began to feel, sure enough, there was one pole on this fender that I had not just, you know, taken off. It was still connected. And, and I liken that to an individual who uh, has a connection with the world. He's, he's not disconnected. He's still, he, he, you know, he, he's still attached. A lot of this pulling and jerking around and pulling at the alders, a lot of our people do, would come, you know, it would come very, very simply if they would just simply become detached from the world. That's what they need to do. Just totally detached from the world. So that so that God can take you and 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 reshape you, refix you, or do whatever he needs to do. And and the Bible being it is the manual of life, you know, if we follow it. Here I worked all night long until daybreak. I never even thought about it. I have a mechanics book on this particular car. When I got to the book, it became very, very simple. But it was not very simple as long as I was detached or attached to the world. Now, this seemed to be the problem with Laodicea. <coughs> the reason that Laodicea was lukewarm, it, it, it's not because that she was enriched and increased in goods, but the perspective in which she saw herself the way she viewed herself. She did not view herself as a church that really did need God and really did need revival. And people who are lukewarm are looking at themselves not from God's point of view, not the way the Lord looks at them, but they look at themselves pretty much in the light of the way everybody else looks at them. People say, oh, Pastor Grant's church must be doing good. I've had a lot of people in the city tell me this. I see all those cars out there. I see this nice landscape lawn and a new building and everything. Boy, that all sounds good. Makes me feel good. Makes me want to go back and do even more to our lawn. If you don't watch, you'll be doing it to the lawn at the expense of lost souls that don't know God. That's extremely important. You know, there's a lot of people out there. Now, I, I, I preached the message at Brother Hook's church and worked on it some more and made gave a Bible study and worked on it some more. I, I, I've come to the conclusion by looking at the Scripture that faith originates in mankind hearing the voice of God. And everybody that's ever lived has heard the voice of God. See, Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And you know the word that's mentioned there is not logos that the Scripture is taken from, but it's rhema. And it is that voice that accompanies the spoken word or the written word of God. But it also, it also, God also has the ability to speak to every man, even without him reading the Bible. I think that's what Paul was talking about in Romans too, when he said that uh, he said the Gentiles, who by nature. Uh, do the things contained in the law, not having the law unto themselves. In other words, the Gentiles seem to have the ability to set up their governments fairly uh, correct, full of truth. Where did, where did they get that? Who told the Gentiles that it was wrong to kill one another? Who told the Gentiles it was wrong to steal one Who told the Gentiles it was wrong to take another man's wife? God told them that. So his final analogy is that the Jews who did not have the oracles of God or did have the oracles of God written on the table of stone disobeyed them. The Gentiles who did not have it, but God spoke to them inwardly. They disobeyed that voice. He said, so then all the world stands guilty before God. Every mouth should be stopped. He said, and the whole world becomes guilty before God. And he goes on to say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I think that's what Paul was addressing in, in Acts 17 when he said, Did not even certain of your poets make reference that we were the offspring of God? And for some reason, see, the 
even people who do not know God in the fullness of the Holy Ghost, they, they, they want to be religious. Like I made this statement again. I'm, I'm a personal believer the world will never be conquered by non-religious forces. Even when the church is raptured, it takes the Antichrist sitting at the temple, declaring himself as God, deceiving the people, and a false prophet that propagates exactly what this man or this Antichrist is teaching. It takes those two figures to conquer mankind. Because every man hears the voice of God and there's something inside of him. Now knowing then that faith originates in us because faith is our response to that voice that's inside of us. See? Then we must understand that the world is full of people out there that, that, that are hearing the voice of God and longing for something. Then there is an awesome responsibility placed upon the people who know who Jesus Christ is and have a personal relationship with Him. Because it's our responsibility to tell those who are not acutely aware of what's going on. It's our responsibility to inform them. You know, you, you can see people walk inside of your assembly and, and they'll begin to weep and cry. Some of them even worship the Lord. And and you think, boy, they've been exposed to Pentecost. And when you go talk with them, you find out not so. One lady I prayed for in the Madison Hospital that somebody called me about she began to weep and cry and call on the name of the Lord. And I was eager to ask her where she went to church. She had brain surgery and her head was all wrapped up. I couldn't tell, you know, if she had long hair or if they'd shaved it off or just one. But then afterwards, she asked me, said, who are you now? I said, well, I'm Pastor Grant of Calvary Gospel Church. I said, United Pentecostal Church. She said, what kind? I said, United Pentecostal. She said, I never heard of that. She was a Catholic. Then she said, well, I guess you think this is strange the way I did this. But she said, all my life, I've been wanting to praise the Lord the way I praise God. She's on her She said, all my life, there seemed to be something inside of me telling me this is the way it ought to be done. So you see, Scripture has a familiar ring to every man who hears it. Even when he hears it his first time. I've done some preaching overseas. Just recently did some preaching overseas. Many of you have. And you can go in places and countries where people are fairly godless as far as knowing Jesus Christ. And and the missionaries who preach give little simple messages about salvation. They don't explain too much about God and have great response. How can this be? Because there is a familiar ring in every man's heart in your scripture because he associates it with the voice that he's been hearing all of his life. They will walk into a room and say, seems like I've been here before. We use the French phrase, deja vu. I believe I've heard this before. I believe I've been here before. That seems to be what happens to every man who comes into our church. It has a familiar ring. There's something about it. It clicks with me. Now, knowing then that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord, that man's response to the voice of God is what creates originally creates faith in us. That the origin of faith that comes to a man's heart happens the way it happens. It should give us great hope in the preaching of the truth. Because truth has a familiar ring that nothing else has. That's right. It's amazing how people can drift from church to church to church and know in their own heart every time they drift that they're in truth, but they still have that longing. They still have that hunger. But let them really find our apostolic truth that's proclaimed in the Bible. I'm talking about baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And all of that is erased. They have such a confirmation and such a feeling uh, of confidence in this. Where do they get it? They get it whenever they contact God and hold on to God. They, they must change their perspective relative to life and such, but it, that's the way it comes. Now, what I want to do is just stop momentarily and, and go a little bit different direction. We're going to bring this all together. Let's, let's talk about you and, and the position you hold 
as a pastor, the position you hold as a saint in the church because you are, uh, at least I would trust that all preachers would at least qualify for church membership. Uh, but uh, uh, there's one thing that I've done in the past, and I'm going to make an apology about it. I, I've apologized to some people already, but I apologize to our church. I preached a message on you can make a difference. It's extremely important. Uh, several years ago, our country was going very, very liberal. It still is a lot more liberal than what I'd like to see it. But uh, uh, all of a sudden, uh, fundamentalists throughout the states, especially in the southern Bible Belt uh, states, they begin to rise up and point out to the voters that every vote makes a difference. Uh, truthfully, uh, I was very, very lax in my responsibility to go and cast my vote. Several years, I didn't even vote for a president because I didn't think that it made any difference. So I don't guess it makes any difference anyway. You know, uh, I hear... I, I hear that voice quite often. And then I, I, I heard something not too long ago that uh, alarmed me. Uh, now, I'm going to make reference to something. Maybe some of you know what I'm making reference to. I'm only doing this because I feel that the statement really does need to be corrected. It has to do with the sovereign will of God. Now, some people feel that the sovereign will of God will be done regardless of what you do. That if God had purpose for me, and if the person who uh, came and witnessed to me would not have witnessed to me, then somebody would have. In other words, I'm going to be saved separate and apart from any effort that you uh, <coughs> would, would ever have. Well, I, I'm, I'm saying this in a, in, in as kindly as I possibly can. I think that that doctrine diametrically opposes Bible teaching. Now let me just explain. You know, when, when the 70 went out in Luke 10, they went out and they preached in the cities and such. And they, uh, they came back, and this is when they were so happy about all the demons that they were able to conquer and, and such. And, uh, Jesus, though, told them before they went. He said, now, there will be people who won't accept what you're having to say. Now, when they don't accept it, he said, then the best thing to do is just kind of dust the dust off your hands and your feet, basically. He's just saying that, that there's some situations that you cannot affect but every man deserves to hear. And uh, you need to go in and preach to him. And if it doesn't work out, you know, don't don't spend a whole lot of time wondering why it didn't. It just didn't. Just go to somebody else. Find somebody that's hungry. But then he backed up and he said, but I would like to say this about those people who won't hear you. He said, you know, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom, not Sodom, for Tyre and Sidon in the day of the Lord than for these people. Well, what do you mean by that, Jesus? And Jesus went on to explain. He said, well, the thing about Tyre and Sidon is this. That Tyre and Sidon is full of iniquity, but they're full of iniquity because nobody has gone with them. If, if Tyre and Sidon had the same opportunity that these people have that you witness to, that they would do. They wouldn't be the way they are. And, and, and to me, in looking at that, there, there, is, there is such a mandate in what he's saying. See, Paul says, and I quoted I, I, I the Scripture in Romans 10, but Paul says, Call upon the name of the Lord, and I shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him? And whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without preaching? How shall he preach except he be sent? I do believe in the sovereign will of God, but not to the extent that God's going to save a man with an eyewitness to it. I don't personally believe that that is scripture. I believe that Jesus Christ wants me to witness to him. I need to go witness to him. And I, do, I should never feel as if, well, if I don't do it, somebody will. The man's going to be saved anyway. Because it's not his will that any right. should perish. Right. But they are perish. Right. They are perishing. And I think we need to look at it as if, hey, this is my responsibility. The unchurched cities of Wisconsin are our responsibility. Uh, The unsaved of our communities are our responsibility. It is our responsibility. And we need to promote that to our people. But you see, here's what happens. we got such a gigantic task before us. We stand up and we put all the statistics about 
population explosion and such. And I've been guilty. There's people who are being born faster than we're reaching them. They'd have been better off, as far as I can see, that if the rapture would have taken place 20, 30, 40 years ago, because more people are dying lost without God. But what happens with that kind of that kind of communication? People kind of lose hope right. that you can do anything about it. It's too negative. Now what changed my thinking in this was just, it was actually the Mother's Memorial, and it had to do with the, the missionaries. When the missions department came out and said for every $125, that's what it was then, that you give, we have statistics to prove that every one of these missionary pastors that's trained in his lifetime, he will reach over 5,000 souls. So my wife and I put ourselves on a budget, and so every week of the year then, we put into this fund so that come Mother's Memorial time, uh, our offerings are already there because I cannot afford, I don't feel I can afford to wait until it's time to take the offering because something's going to come around and get the money. Our offerings are already there because I cannot afford, I don't feel I can afford to wait until it's time to take the offering because something's going to come around and get the money. So I want it in safekeeping because I feel confident that if, that if I do my part in sponsoring at least one missionary, that's 5,000 fewer souls that have to die lost without Jesus Christ. You see, I believe what we need to do is stop a lot of this negative stuff and I'm responsible for fostering a lot of it. Because people, they, they, they see the task is too great. Well, we can't do anything. If every man in the UPC became a missionary and gave his whole livelihood, we wouldn't even make a little dent in the population of the planet Earth. That's what I've heard. I have repeated that. But do you know what that does to most sure. people? Right. That makes most people feel that don't, it doesn't make any difference whether I do anything or not. And what we need to do is, is scrap that kind of garbage talk. Yes. We need to scrap it at General Conference. We need to scrap it in our camp meetings. Amen. Everything you do does right. make a Hallelujah. difference. Amen. And we need to believe that it makes a difference. Yes. And we need, to, we need to put faith in our people that when they give, it'll make a difference. That somebody can find God yes. and will find God in the power of the Holy Ghost and will not have to die. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. hallelujah. hallelujah. Every soul you witness to, every soul you witness to, is a soul that needs to hear right. the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait on somebody else to do it. So I'm, I believe if we ever wait around until we get the money to evangelize the world, we probably never will get the money. Right. Amen. So if David had waited around until he got everything in his hands to kill Goliath, Goliath would never have fallen as a foe at his feet. But what did he do? He simply took what God had equipped him with and used him. Right. Don't we hear this all the time? Man, if we got money, we'd evangelize all these things. And what we're doing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, brother, what we're, we're making some of these, even some of these young preachers feel, well, when the program gets big enough to support me, now I'll get out there and we'll build churches. But if we wait around until we get the money to evangelize the world, it, we, we probably won't be in the spiritual condition to evangelize. That was a problem with Leo to see. Mm-hmm. When she got rich and increased in good, she did nothing. That's right. I mean, absolutely nothing. Nothing, nothing. And I believe we need to put into these young preachers, you don't have to wait for Praise God. Right. Come on. Amen. If God's given you the burden, take what you have in your hand and go out there and fight your Goliath and build your church and win your loss to the Lord. You can make a difference. We did it before we had Christmas for Christmas. And if we don't have the available funds for all of our missionaries, we can we can still do it. Jesus. But we hear all these big reports. Oh, Jimmy Swagger, his ministry, he takes in more in one month's time. The UPC takes in five years. You've heard that, haven't you? Walter Roberts, look what look what we're doing. Well, my, we need to forget about what we're not doing and think about just that every man does make a difference. Yes, sir. You gave your offering, your offering's going someplace. You witness on your street, you preach in your city, and you will make a difference in somebody's yes, house. Yes, I believe that. And don't wait around until I believe and, till, till we have the big funds to do it. It probably won't come. You know, Christopher Columbus is a very, very interesting figure in the history of America. He discovered America in 
October 12, 1492. This coming October will be the 500th year that we will celebrate the discovery of, of uh, America. I was on the island of Martinique and I saw the little, the little river where uh, Christopher Columbus sailed around on the, the west side, on the Caribbean seaside. And uh, the reason why he did this because the waves were too great to report it on the Atlantic side. They came ashore to find the care of Indians there. They didn't stay long in Martinique because the Indians did not have gold. They were in search of gold. Christopher Columbus was not the only man that believed the world was ruined. In the day in which he lived, contrary to what most people say, many, many, many people believe the world was ruined. In fact, some estimates go so high as 60 to 70% of people believe the world was ruined. The whole problem is nobody was willing to prove it. So as a result, that we believe something that we're not really willing to seek to find out if it's really true. So he he uh, uh, was an Italian man, born in Genoa, Italy, and he went to Portugal. Found out they had an interest in, in the uh, uh, the spices and the gold of India. And of course, uh, the the king of Portugal would not support his trip. He goes to the, the queen who happened to be the dominant figure in Spain and the king, and uh, over a long period of time convinced him that uh, he could uh, sail west and reach the east. He convinced him he could do it. Now, the only thing that Christopher Columbus did that I can see that was, he was an error was that he thought the world was a lot smaller than what it was. Uh, he perceived that he could conquer something that Really, he needed a lot more help than himself, but, but he set out to do something. So he underestimated the job. Now, uh, I, I wish that God had given me the spirit of Christopher Columbus. <laughs> because most of the time when I want to do something, I perceive the job as being too big. And that's that's the reason why most people wouldn't, wouldn't try to prove the world was round, because they thought the world was much bigger. And uh, but he said, uh, I can do it. Well, on August 3rd, 1942, or 1492, uh, he left Spain, loaded down with supplies, uh, 40 men on each ship, I think it was, and they're headed out to the new, the new world. They stopped on the Canary Islands, just off of Africa, and sailed across. On October the 10th, 1492, uh, Christopher Columbus almost turned back because... They had a, a move going on all the three ships. He was on the flagship, the Santa Maria, and he knew that uh, mutiny was the talk. And he finally convinced the men just, just to just hold on a little bit longer. Well, two days later, at 2 a.m. in the morning, October 12, 1492, they spied land. They sailed into the Bahamas, which now known as the Watkins Island, and named the island there San Salvador. They really thought that they were near India. One record says that they thought probably they were near Japan, that close. Thought they'd sail all the way across what we now know as the Pacific, because they didn't have knowledge yet. And, uh, it took them 36 days to make this trip. Now, over a period of years, he made four different trips. Christopher Columbus died at 54 years of age. Christopher Columbus was an old man when he died. Reports say his body was a little bit worn out. He couldn't even walk. He cried most of his last year because he was in pain. He had arthritis. But, uh, History records uh, some unique things about this man. One is, he was not searching for gold. The interest of the king and queen of Spain was gold. Christopher Columbus was a praying man to pray three times every day. Now, he didn't know the truth, but he knew the truth. But he had this mystic feeling that he was called of God to spread Christianity to the unknown regions of the world. And if someone would finance his trip, he would be able to go and 
spread the gospel into the unknown region or a particular unknown world. And that's an amazing thing. Some considered him to be a very greedy man, but I think it was his son that wrote a biography of him and stated this, this, this really wasn't true, that was not his interest. But he was a very responsible man and felt indebted to the people who supported his trip to bring back what they'd sent him for. That's one unique trait of the man. The second trait is this, that Christopher Columbus, prior to that maiden voyage across the Atlantic, had never in his entire life commanded a ship. Never. And he talked these people into doing it. But he had a dream. He believed that he could do something that nobody else had ever done. And he was driven by that dream. It is said of this man that he had the uniqueness of perceiving situations from a different point of view than anybody else. And that seemed to keep him going. God give us, as leaders of the Wisconsin District in 1992, the 500th anniversary of this great nation of ours, the discovery. God give us that same spirit over Christopher Columbus that we may use the unrighteous unrighteous mammon of this world but that's not really what we're after that's not what we're after we may take offerings at camp meetings and conferences but it all boils down to the spreading of the gospel to the lost And, and that's going to have to be our motivating force, the prime mover. It's got to be that way. man died at 54, young man, 51 years of age. He was a broken down old man, 54, because he'd spent his life doing what his dreams forced him to do. His dreams literally forced him to do this. God, give us a spirit of this man. You know, and the unique thing about it is, you know, God works in mysterious ways while he did not know the truth. It did ultimately turn out today that the land he discovered is the land that's primarily responsible for the evangelization of the world. The evangelization of the world. Israel did not go in the promised land. The Bible says... Moses was concerned about this, and Joshua and Caleb told, told Moses, you know, if we don't go in and take it, what's, what are these people going to say? They're going to say, our God was not evil. And isn't it true that when Jesus went to Nazareth, the Bible tells us that he was not able to do any great works there? Because yeah. What God cannot do is a very, very startling thought. What can he not do? There's certain things that he limits himself to. Israel, in Psalm 78, was accused of limiting the Holy Right. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing that the, the whole purpose of the promised land rested in Israel? They were the reason why that it existed. And yet they were the reason why it couldn't be taken. Mm. The whole reason why that I see that there's a holy city today is to take people away from the sin of Right. Yes. We are the reason why there's a holy city. But we can populate either heaven or hell with our belief or our own. We're gathered here just for a short period of time. We need to get some very, very careful thought. Let's let God be God. Mm-hmm. Let's let God be God. I've got to be used to God. Amen. You've got to be used to God. Everything you do, every plan you make, it's extremely important that you give it your very dead level best. Praise God. I think so. Hallelujah. Praise God.
God, let us see life from your point of view. What could you Talk to us, O God. Protect our mind. limited and yet you would have gone to the whole world and now your body encompasses around the world but we won't go I pray God let us have that mind of yours that mind dear Lord that says as many as are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God and that son would go into every situation and reach every endeavor for souls. God help us. Help us, Lord, to lay down our own agendas, God, at your feet, Lord, and pick up your agenda, God, as recorded in your word for this world, our areas, our cities, this state, this district. God, help us as men of God that you have chosen. Lord, we didn't chose this. You chose us, Lord. And God, I pray whatever you've seen in us, Lord, to that capacity, God, I pray, Lord, help us, Lord, not to look to ourselves and our fleshly ability, but to look to you and to your ability that God will lead us in guidance in the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 That lad came, Lord Jesus, with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two small fish. Andrew said, Lord, but what are they among so many? But that one young lad with seemingly nothing made a difference. Made a difference among 5,000 men and others. A whole multitude was fed. Somehow, Lord, if nothing else from this meeting, let every one of us around this table believe that we can make a difference in our world. In the name of the Lord, let us believe. Our abilities may seem so dwarf in the eyes of uh, the things that the world can do. And we may not have be the greatest orators or be, may not be the greatest organized people. Whatever our shortcomings may be, whatever our strong points are really in the eyes, Many things, they're nothing. Lord, with you, Lord, and if we are willing to give what we have, I believe we can see our cities, we can see our district. Hallelujah. Have a tremendous revival. I believe somewhere, someday, somebody you want to use for a great and mighty revival. Let it be in Wisconsin. Lord, let it start here. I just am so simple to believe that I can make a difference in worldwide revival. I'm ready. Jim Booker's hand. And I want to do you're 
Say thank you for touching our minds and our hearts. Help us to surrender them to you. Oh God, that your will would become our will. Our will would be your will. You know what needs to be done. You've not given us an impossible task, but you promised to be with us. We would just go and do our part. Center our minds and desires to fulfill the purpose that you called us to. Bless us now, Lord. Help us, Jesus. You know just our short coming, you know our strength. Help us to utilize all of your kingdom. Yes, Father. Multitudes, multitudes, have never once heard the truth. Many do not even know about your name, Jesus. They only heard God used in vain. Never knowing that there's a real God to serve us. Help us, Jesus, to do our part. Be with us now. We give you the praise, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you. Praise God, praise God, praise God. 